0: And Lord, we do, we thank you and praise you, Lord, that indeed we are your bride. Lord, not because we're perfect, but because you are. And Lord, you've cleansed us through the blood of your Son. And Lord, we just thank you that you adopt us and you desire us to be your children, to have intimate fellowship with you. Father, I pray as we go to your word right now, Lord, that you would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. Go ahead and grab a seat. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9 as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. Let me encourage you to read 1 Samuel chapter 27 for this coming Wednesday night, as we'll be looking at the entire chapter, Lord willing, on Wednesday. Uh, People, right now we're in Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to be in verse 1. Let me encourage you also. uh, I wanted to mention, people have been asking me, so I'll just say it once as opposed to saying it 50 times. Um, My dad is home, praise God. And if you don't know who he is, if you're new, he's one of the assistant pastors here, and he had open heart surgery, and he got an infection in the hospital that kept him there for uh, almost five weeks. And uh, he's, he's still in a hospital bed. He's going to be on antibiotics for quite a while trying to fight this uh, really gnarly infection. But he is home, and uh, just if you would continue to pray for him, I would appreciate it. Uh, on an, another note, uh, you know that this is the month they decide about the full-power radio station, or they're at least supposed to, we did get an email yesterday, they found a tower for us to put the antenna on, so that's good. And so now it's just a matter of whether or not the FCC awards us the station or not. The good news is, we know who's in control. If God wants us to have it, we'll have it, amen? amen. If He doesn't want us to have it, we don't want to have it, but we should be praying about it, because again, it would be awesome to have 24-hour day, 7-day-a-week Bible being taught in Santa Cruz, amen? amen? So be praying about that, and we'll see what God does. He's faithful, He knows what He's doing. Alright, this morning we're continuing the letter written to the Jewish converts, Jewish people who had become Christians in the first century church. The letter was written by a Jewish believer, I, I believe the Apostle Paul, either way it doesn't really matter because ultimately God wrote it. But it's being written to the Jewish believers who are being tempted to go back into Judaism. It was a time of great persecution, and it was also a time when their old family and friends who were still walking in the Jewish faith were trying to draw them back. Now, for them especially, would have been a very confusing time if they did not get their eyes on Jesus. Because for thousands of years, the sacrificial system was God's plan. But all of it was pointing to Jesus. And once Jesus came, as we saw in last week's text, The old covenant became obsolete. Guys, the same is true today. You will be very confused if you take your eyes off of Jesus. If you start looking around at all the options and what the world has to offer and you just get confused by, you know, your professor at school or, you know, a co-worker or whoever else, you know, guys got to keep our eyes on the Lord, continue to be in his word, be like the Bereans who study to show themselves approved, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. All of us need to be people of God's word. Because if we do not know what the Word of God says, we will easily fall for any lie that comes down the pike. So here's what has happened at this point. He's been telling them repeatedly, Jesus is better. And he's not saying that what he's comparing Jesus to is not good. Because he said Jesus is better than the prophets. The prophets were good. They were sent by God. Jesus better. He said he's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the law. And as we've been seeing in the last several chapters, he's better than the high priest that they were being tempted to go back and follow. Now at this time, the temple is still in place for a few more years. But until the temple comes down, there was confusion among some of these Jewish believers that they wanted to try to hold on to Judaism and hold on to Christianity at the same time. They kind of wanted to have their cultural cake and still eat it too kind of thing. You know, that's what happens in Santa Cruz today, amen? People want to, oh well I want to follow God my own way and I want to mix four or five things together and I want to create my own religious belief. Guys, that's nonsense. Especially since so often the beliefs they want to put together completely contradict each other. And so that brings us to this morning's chapter because what we have seen so far is this Being torn between two things, being torn to go back to that old way of life and to press onward with Jesus Christ, the one whom alone can save, the one who alone died upon the cross, the one who all the Old Testament prophecies pointed to. Jesus indeed is better. God does not want us to have dead religion. He wants us to have a living relationship. He wants us to move beyond just fulfilling rituals and going to church. I pray that when you guys come to Calvary Chapel, Santa Cruz, you're not here to put another notch on your religious belt. Amen? Well, I went to church another time. Well, I had a really bad week. You know, we want you to be here no matter why you come. We hope you feel welcomed and loved. But I pray that you come here because you love the Lord, you want to worship Him, and you want to know Him better. Amen. Amen? You come here because you desire to enter into intimate fellowship with Him not because of religion, not because somebody, you know, put a guilt trip on you. Guys, we should be here because we love Him. So, we're going to see a contrast in this morning's chapter between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Probably of all the chapters in Hebrews, and all of them are just incredible, incredibly filled with doctrine, but this is going to take two weeks. I'm just telling you right up front so you don't panic. But Over the next two weeks, we're going to see first the inferiority of the Old Covenant, and then we're going to see the superiority of the New Covenant in Christ next week. So this morning, we're going to look at five reasons why the Old Covenant is inferior. And we're going to see that even in its inferiority, all of it is pointing to the Lord. It was God's plan up until the point Jesus came. Now Jesus has come, and He is better. So if you're a note-taker... I have a unique title for the message today. I titled the message "Sewing Up the Veil." When Jesus died on the cross, what happened to the veil? It was torn in two, and from that point forward, it meant that we can enter into the presence of God anywhere and any time. Amen. The Holy of Holies was wide open, no longer just the high priest on the day of atonement, but any one of us anywhere and any time. But sadly, what was happening and what's being addressed in this chapter were those who are wanting to literally sew the veil back up and inhibit that intimate fellowship with God and go back to religion that was now dead because Jesus Christ had come, He was the fulfillment, and that had now become obsolete. It was no longer God's plan. And we were now to be, they were now to be following the Lord. So, five reasons that the old covenant was inferior. Number one, it was an earthly sanctuary. They served in an earthly sanctuary. As we will see next week, our Savior is in a heavenly one. Amen? Number two, it was a type of something greater. As you look at the Old Covenant sanctuary, it is there's so many wonderful things in it. We'll talk about them this morning. But it's just, it's simply a type or a foreshadow of something greater. Guys, we don't serve the shadow. We serve the one that the the shadow pointed to. We don't serve the types; we serve the Savior that that all those things were a type of, and we're going to see that as we go through the text. Number three, it was inaccessible to the people. You know, the old covenant sanctuary was a place that only a few could enter. The general people could come into the outer court, but they could never go into the holy place, and only the great high only the high priest could go in to the Holy of Holies at only once a year. That meant that everybody else was on the outside looking in, missing out on intimate fellowship with God. Only one person got to have it. Well, praise God the veil's been torn and now we all can have it. Amen? And why would we want to go back to sit back at a distance and watch somebody else have a relationship with God when we all can have a relationship with God? So number three, it was inaccessible to the people. Number four, it was temporary. The Old Covenant sanctuary was temporary. Guys, it's not there anymore. There is no more temple. There is no more tabernacle. They're going to try to rebuild the temple. We know that from the book of Revelation. They will rebuild the temple. But the point is, guys, the temple now is us. The Bible tells us that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the Old Covenant The tabernacle and the temple were temporary. And then lastly, it ministered only to man's outward need. It ministered only to man's outward need. It did not transform him from the inside out. And that's what the new covenant, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ does. We're not changed from the outside in, but from the inside out. Amen? We don't try to be really good so we can earn God's favor. We we fall madly in love with Him and everything else changes. Amen. This week I was sharing my faith with a guy up in San Francisco and we were talking about this very thing and he was saying, well, well, you know what? I'm a good man, though, and I do all these good things and, and but I don't believe in Jesus. So does that mean I'm going to hell? And the, the quick answer, of course, is yes, but I got to yes. But, but before I got to yes, I wanted to point him out to the fact that, you know what, bro, here's the deal. If you were being compared to other men, you're probably a pretty good guy. You know Osama bin Laden. You know you haven't killed anybody. But God doesn't grade on the curve. He grades at the cross. He doesn't compare us to other men. He compares us to the Savior, and we all fall short of God's glory. Amen? Amen? And so the point is that it's not from the outside in. It's not us doing good works to earn salvation. It's us falling in love with the Lord. It's becoming new creations in Christ and changing from the inside out. So let's begin looking at the inferior Old Covenant sanctuary. Five reasons it was inferior. First of all, it was an earthly sanctuary. Look at verse 1 of Hebrews 9. It says, Then indeed, in Greek, it is accordingly then. So continuing of the thought of the previous chapter, back in verse 5 of chapter 8, it says, Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he said, see that you, make what you make, that you make all things according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. So the tabernacle was a picture of something in heaven, but it was still an earthly tabernacle. It was a type or a picture of the heavenly one. While it pointed to the heavenly one, it was not equal with the heavenly one. And then we saw in the last two verses last week, verse 12 and 13, for I will be merciful to their unrighteous and to their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more in that. He says a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete is growing old, is ready to vanish away. Here's what he's saying. All that old covenant things that you were falling after, all the rules, all the religion, all the rituals, it's obsolete, it's no longer in place, it's no longer valid, it's vanishing away, don't go back to it. And then he says, then indeed. So, in light of the fact that it's obsolete, that it's going away, that it's vanishing, how now should we respond? How now should we live differently? What should be the pattern for our lives? Should we be hanging on? to the old ways, hanging on to the old covenant. The new covenant made the old covenant obsolete. I say this every once in a while, I'll say it again. I'm amazed at the number of Christians who are trying to be Jews. Today we're trying to be, well I've got, try, go find if you have some Jewish blood, maybe you're twice blessed, maybe, guys, if you have a Jewish heritage, that's great, praise God, but guys, it's, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, barbarian nor Scythian, we're all one in Christ, Amen? We're either believers or unbelievers. And too often we're trying to find a heritage. Guys, the only heritage we really ought to be worried about is the heritage of who we are in Christ. That's what we ought to be worried about. Amen? That should be the focus and the passion of our lives. So he says, Then indeed, accordingly then, since it's fa- passing away, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. The old covenant had been god's divine plan for communicating the need of a sacrifice to restore sinful man back to holy god for thousands of years the old covenant could not forgive sin but it would reveal to man his need for a savior what it did do is it would cover sin toward the coming messiah and as we'll talk about in the next few verses that There was covering of sin, but no remission for it. There was no forgiveness. I was thinking of an illustration. I said, you know, kind of like being in a boat that every day you had to go out and fix the leak. You're in the boat, you're stranded out in the ocean, and it's leaking, and you're patching it up constantly with the realization that until you get a new boat, it'll never be fixed. And that's how it was, the old covenant. They were constantly making sacrifice day after day after day after day after day sometimes multiple times a day. And every sacrifice was a reminder that the last one wasn't enough. That there was still one who was coming. And until the one who fulfilled the sacrificial system came, they would just be pushing their sin forward toward the coming Messiah. But when Jesus came, we need sacrifices no more. Amen? It is finished, Jesus said. Amen? It's finished. It's done. No more, aren't you glad we're not dragging lambs in here on Sunday? I'm so glad we're not bringing bulls and goats and a red, you know, a a red heifer and and sprinkling ashes and and all of those things were pointing to the heavy price of sin. Imagine if we did have to do that. Imagine if you had to bring a lamb into your house and leave it there and, and watch it to make sure it was without blemish, it wasn't sick, keep it in your home for up to a week or so, And then at the end of that week, take that lamb and slit its throat. Boy, you certainly would know the high cost of your sin, wouldn't you? But guys, much higher cost than slitting of a goat's throat was our Savior going to the cross. And that should never grow common, amen? It was much more that He endured and went through on our behalf. The Jewish people generously gave gifts for the building of the, of the tabernacle and later the temple. It was the place of sacrifice. It was the place of worship. It was indeed where God's glory dwelt. It was all done according to the law of Moses. It was in obedience to God's command. And it was that, that earthly sanctuary, that holy place, Constructed according to the in accordance and obedience to God's command. Now it says there it was a earthly sanctuary. This speaks of the fact that it belonged on earth, not in heaven. That it was made with human hands and that it was indeed temporary. But look at the key word in verse one. It says then indeed even the first covenant had ordinances, not has had. He's telling them, yes, that first covenant was good. Yes, God put it into place, but it's no longer. Now, you and I, we keep saying, well, man, Pastor Dave, we've been going over this every week in Hebrews. Understand something. Imagine being a Jewish person being told this. Imagine this had been the way that you worship God your entire life, and all of a sudden you're told, guys, the Messiah came. We don't do that anymore. And they had to be told chapter after chapter because there was such a heavy temptation to hold on to religion and miss out on the relationship that they could have with Jesus Christ. It had become obsolete. So the contrast between the old covenant religion and a new covenant relationship, the inferior old covenant sanctuary, five reasons it's inferior. Number one, it was an earthly sanctuary, not a heavenly one, not an eternal one. Number two, It was a type of something greater. Guys, it was made in the likeness of the heavenly sanctuary, but more importantly to me, or as important, is it's very clearly a picture of Jesus Christ. If you look at the Old Covenant and the Old Testament sanctuary or temple, you're going to see Jesus all over it. And As a matter of fact, to make sure you do, we're going to go over it right now and make sure you see Jesus all over it. Pictures of Jesus throughout the sanctuary, but the sanctuary couldn't save us, but point us to the one who would. So look what it says in verse 2. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part, in which was a lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. Now the tabernacle was simply the tent of meeting. Those of you who go to Israel with us, one of our stops is they actually have like a replica to scale perfectly of what the tabernacle would have looked like. And we go and visit it, and you walk through it, and and you see all the the different furnishings, etc. And it's not that big. With the outer courtyard, it'd be bigger than the gymnasium, but not by much. So there was an outer court, and then inside the outer court was the tent of meeting. In the tent of meeting, there were two different rooms. There was the holy place and the holy of holies. Now, I'm going to take you through, give you a virtual tour of walking into the tabernacle. If you came in, there was a veil. And on the veil were colors. We don't have time to go into it. Grab the Exodus 25 through 30 CDs. All of it points to Jesus, even the colors, even the, the, the metals that were used, all pointing to the Lord. But they would pull back the veil. You would walk in, and the first thing you would see would be the bronze altar. Now, the bronze altar was the first thing that men were confronted with when they walked into the tabernacle, because without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sin. So the bronze altar was where the sacrifices were made unto the Lord. So they would come into the tabernacle, and the first thing they were confronted with was a place where there would be a sacrifice. Now, this is a place of sacrifice, a tabernacle, a place of restoration, a place of ministry, a place of intimacy with God. And while they wouldn't have grasped it at the time, all of this points to Jesus because as they walk in, that bronze altar is there, and on the bronze altar were four points. And on the four points, they would tie the sacrifice to the four points. And on the Day of Atonement, that we'll talk about in a moment, they would take the blood of of the uh, sacrifice and put it on all four points and then take some of the blood into the holy of holies and sprinkle it on the ark of the covenant jesus died on a cross that had four points amen the bronze altar bronze in scripture is a picture of judgment bronze or brass always a picture of judgment what's interesting is is in John chapter 3, when Jesus is ministering to Nicodemus, he recalls a story back in Numbers 21. In Numbers, the people were rebelling against God. So he allowed serpents to come into the camp, if you remember the story. The serpents began to bite the people, and as they bit them, they began to die. Then God told Moses to make a pole and to put a brass serpent on the pole. And then to hold the pole up, and everybody who looked at the pole would be healed. Now this just seems absolutely bizarre, doesn't it? You you get bit by a snake, so look at the picture of the snake, and you'll be healed. But that's what God told him. And we didn't fully understand it, they didn't fully understand it, until Jesus would later say, that serpent on the pole is a picture of me. He said in that... He who knew no sin became sin for us. The serpent was a picture of sin and Jesus became sin for us. And you and I don't look to a serpent on a brass pole. We look to our Savior hanging upon the cross and he's the one that forgives us. Amen? Amen. But you see here that brass and bronze are a picture of divine judgment. And so this bronze altar was the first thing that you confronted as you walked into the tabernacle. And there you saw the sacrifice taking place, the blood being shed. Now, after you moved past the bronze bronze altar, you'd come to the bronze laver. A laver was really like a big wash basin. And so the priest, after he shed the blood, before he would enter into the Holy of Holies, he would go in and he would cleanse himself. This, to me, is very clearly a picture of baptism. Because coming from the place of sacrifice... And before entering into deeper fellowship and intimacy with God, there is a public confession. Baptism is an outward statement of an inward change. It's letting the whole world know we want to be identified with Jesus Christ. Amen? Guys, he hung on a cross for us. May we be baptized in the ocean for him. May we stand up for Him at work. May we not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Guys, our life is but a vapor. We have only so much time to serve Him. Let's quit dialing it down. Let's be excited for God and not apologize for it. Amen? Amen. And so we see here that the bronze laver, after the blood was shed, they would come in and they would cleanse themselves. Pastor Dave's opinion, a picture of baptism. You know what's interesting? The tabernacle itself was in the wilderness. And Jesus began his ministry in the wilderness where he was tempted. The tabernacle itself was a temporary dwelling. Jesus temporarily came to earth and took on humanity. All of it is pointing to him. The bronze altar, a picture of him dying on the cross for us. The laver, a picture of the fact that he cleansed us from our sin. Now, the priest then could only go into the next room. And as we saw there in the verse, it says the first part in which was the lampstand. Now, when you come into the tabernacle, you would see three pieces of furniture inside that first room. It wasn't very big, about 30 by 15. You would walk in and to your left, you would see the lampstand. To the right, you would see the table of showbread. And right in front of you, you would see the altar of incense. Now, what's great about this golden lampstand most of you know that the the lampstand is now referred to by most jews as a menorah and it's got seven you know stems to it seven being the number of perfection and so this lampstand had these branches and the priest's job was to go in and bring oil into the lampstand every day and make sure that the oil and the wicks and the lampstand stayed full and lit and this was the only light in all of the, t- of the uh, holy place. It lit up the entire holy place. You know what? Jesus, the Bible says, he is the light of the world. Amen? And God has called you and I to be the light of the world. But notice what kept it lit. Oil. Oil in scripture is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Whenever you see people being anointed with oil, it's a picture of the Holy Spirit. Guys, the only way we're going to be light to a lost and dying world is if we're filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so we need to, just like the priest was going in every day and refilling it, guys, we need to start our day saying, Lord, fill me again. Amen? Amen? Now, we might disagree on some of the ways we look at the Holy Spirit. You might say being filled. You might say being baptized. You might say being indwelt. I don't care what you call it. Just get it. Amen? Just get it. Just say, Lord, less of me and more of you. Jesus said of men born among women, there's been none greater than John the Baptist. Jesus said it, so we know it's true. Greatest man who ever lived outside of Jesus, John the Baptist. Then what did John the Baptist say? I must decrease that he might increase. So if the greatest man who ever lived according to Jesus Christ outside of himself said less of me and more of him, then what do you and I need to be praying every single morning? Amen? Less of me, more of him, I need to be filled with the oil of the Holy Spirit that I might be light to a lost and a dying world. So Jesus, that bronze altar, a picture of the cross, the laver, a picture of his cleansing work upon the cross for us, going into that holy place and seeing that He is the light of the world. Then turning to the right was the table of showbread, the bread of presents. There were 12 different loaves of bread, representing His provision for all 12 tribes of Israel. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is the bread of life? Amen? He was born in Bethlehem, which means house of? house of bread and he's the bread of life and there they're looking at the table of showbread not realizing all along that every bit of this is pointing to jesus christ guys it's not the table of showbread that would bring people into god's presence it's what the table of showbread represented and who it pointed to guys it's not a menorah in my house that's going to light up the holy spirit in the room it's understanding who that light was pointing to jesus christ Once Jesus came, they didn't need the table of showbread anymore. They didn't need the lampstand anymore. They didn't need the bronze altar anymore. They didn't need the bronze laver anymore. They had Jesus Christ who was the fulfillment of them all. Amen? Now it says there also, along with the table of showbread, it says, which is called the sanctuary. I actually love that word. And it just means a place of worship. So when they would come in, they would worship. And they would come into the presence of Almighty God. And Lord would minister to them there. Then it says in verse three, and behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all. So there was another veil. And when you get to the temple later, when Jesus is crucified, this veil was so huge it took many men to pick it up. It was heavy, weighed hundreds of pounds, it had to be carried. It was very thick. And so they would bring that thing, and it would just take so many people to bring it up there. But when Jesus died on the cross, it was torn from top to bottom because God reached down and tore it, amen? Amen. It wasn't from bottom to top, it was top to bottom, God reached down and tore it. But that veil is still there at this point. And it says here, this is a little confusing, that the altar of incense was in the Holy of Holies. What we know from looking at all of Scripture, it was just outside the Holy of Holies. But they would, the priest, when he would go in on the Day of Atonement, He would take some of the incense from that and bring it into the Holy of Holies. Also, as the incense was burning, it would float over into the Holy of Holies. So it was right there. It was the altar of incense. Well, how does the altar of incense point to our Lord? Well, the altar of incense is a representation of prayer. And it's a representation of constant intercession. They had to keep that incense burning 24 hours a day. And where is our our Savior? He is seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. Amen? And so as we see, as we walk through this tabernacle and later the temple, all of it is Jesus, 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 Jesus. Amen? And even the veil itself and and the colors that were in it, all of it, pointing to the Lord. Boy, does the Bible rock or what? You just gotta love the Bible. The Bible says in Hebrews 7, He ever lives to make intercession for us. Have you ever thought about the fact that God is praying for you? Next time you're tempted, He's praying for you. He prays without ceasing. It is also interesting that an incense, this incense that represents prayer, brings up a sweet-smelling aroma. So guys, when you pray... You bring a sweet-smelling aroma into the presence of Almighty God. How good is that? And also, I believe this is true. I also believe that when we pray, it produces a sweetness in our lives. I've rarely seen people who are prayer warriors who are bitter, angry, and hateful all day. Amen? People who are constantly in the presence of Almighty God, they're not going to be wavering by the circumstances of the day. They're not going to get bitter quickly. I've been hanging out with the creator of the universe. It's given me a a heavenly perspective. Lord, I pray that our lives would be a sweet-smelling aroma in the presence of Almighty God. Amen? And may we be men and women of prayer. Well, guess what? There's one more piece of furniture. And it's the most significant one of all. Because when you went past the holy place into the holy of holies, you went from a 30 by 15 room into a 15 by 15 room, and there was one piece of furniture, and it is called the Ark of the Covenant. Now, rough estimate, it was about 45 inches by 27 inches by 27 inches. So the Ark of the Covenant is a box, not a boat. Amen? It's a box. It's not a boat. Sometimes people confuse the arts. That's not what it is. Now, it was overlaid on all sides with gold, but it was made out of wood. The wood that it was made out of is called acacia wood. Now, the wood is a picture of our Savior's humanity, and of being covered in gold is a picture of His deity. You know what's interesting about acacia wood? It's the only wood that grows in the wilderness that has thorns on it. The only wood that grows in the wilderness that has thorns on it. Thorns are a picture of what? Sin. And Christ's suffering. But sin. Remember that there were no thorns until Adam and Eve sinned. Remember when they sinned in the garden, it said, Then thorns and thistles came. And when Jesus died on the cross, a crown of thorns was placed upon his head. A picture of the fact that he was taking upon himself the sin of all mankind. Now, Understand, too, what I love about this, about acacia wood. And uh, when one of my trips to Israel, they had some Bedouin people, and they actually showed me this. When you pierce acacia wood, a gummy substance comes out, and it's used as a healing balm. They still use it now for healing. So a thorny piece of wood, when broken, that heals. Who's that a picture of? <laughs> Don't you love the Bible? So this... This box of wood made of acacia wood but overlain in gold is a picture both of the humanity and the deity of our Savior. Now inside that box were three things to remind Israel of their rebellion. One thing was a pot of manna. When were they given manna? When they were wandering in the wilderness. Why were they wandering in the wilderness? They disobeyed God and they didn't have any faith. And then they even complained about the manna. Remember that? So they were murmuring and complaining and there's a jar of manna in there to remind them of the rebellion. Secondly, there was the Ten Commandments or the law that God had written with His finger. And it was a representation and reminder to them that they had broken the law. And thirdly, was Aaron's rod. Now the rod of Aaron was a reminder to them of how they had rebelled against God's high priest. So all three of these things though, picture of somebody. Because who fulfilled the law? Jesus Christ. Manna, who's the bread of life? Jesus Christ. And then who's the great high priest? Jesus Christ. So while they pointed and reminded them of their own rebellion, they were all pictures of Jesus Christ. Man, I just love the Bible. This is good stuff. Now, it says there, the Ark of the Covenant was overlaid on all sides with gold. There was a golden pot that had manna. Aaron's rod that budded and the tablets of the covenant now it says and above it were the cherubim of the glory overshadowing the mercy seat now guys inside that box was everything in the world that would convict man that he was a sinner in need of a savior rebellion disobedience, turning their back on God, not submitting to God. And you know what I love about our Savior among so many things is that instead of having us look upon the very thing that would bring conviction and condemnation, He covers it up with His mercy. On top of the ark, He puts His mercy seat. You'll notice anywhere in Scripture where they remove the mercy seat, what happens to those people? They die every time. Don't you know why? Because if you look upon the law, apart from the mercy, you're guilty. Amen? But praise God that he covers it up with his mercy. And so on the Day of Atonement, the priest would come into the Holy of Holies only one time a year, and he would sprinkle the blood on the Ark of the Covenant on the mercy seat. Blood that had come from the bronze altar, that had passed by the bronze laver, that had walked by the the golden lampstand and the table of showbread and the altar of incense and the veil, all pointing to Jesus. And then they came in and sprinkled the blood. And when they sprinkled the blood, we get a very clear picture of something else. Because there were two cherubim, which are angels. And the angels were on the head and the toe of the altar. Now we know that the Bible tells us Of the mercy seat. The Bible tells us that His glory dwelt there. His glory was resting upon the mercy seat. So we see a picture of the throne of God because we know that around the throne of God there are angels worshiping Him all the time. Amen. But here's what else we get a picture of. When they came to the tomb after Jesus rose from the dead, they walked into the tomb and what did they see splat in the middle? They saw the bloody garments that He once was wearing. And at the head and at the foot were two angels. The Ark of the Covenant is not only a picture of the cross, but of the resurrection of our Savior. Now, guys, if if you don't see Jesus in this, you're not paying attention. Is this Jesus, 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 or what? And how sad would it be to go back to the thing that pointed to the Savior, but miss out on the Savior altogether? That was the temptation to go back. It's inferior to go back to the sanctuary. It's inferior to go back to the tabernacle. Why? Because it all pointed to the one who has now come. That's all become obsolete. We don't go to a lampstand. We don't go to a golden box. Instead, we, have, we walk right into the presence of our Creator. We have intimate fellowship with Him. Amen? So that's where we need to be. That's where we need to go. Praise God for these clear pictures. But sadly we see that they were missing out on all that it pointed to. So the inferior old covenant, it's a type of something greater. It was good stuff. It's wonderful stuff. It's an encouragement to us this morning as it all pictures Jesus. But guys, we don't worship the lampstand. And we don't worship the bronze altar. We worship only the one whom they pointed to. Point number three, the inferior old covenant sanctuary. It was inaccessible to the people. Only one man could enter into God's presence one day a year. Look at verse... uh, Let me read the rest of verse 5. It says, And above it were the cherubim and the glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot know, cannot now speak in detail. Verse 6. Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. So the tabernacle, he would go into that first room... And he would go to the lampstand, and he would go to the table of showbread where he changed out the bread once a week. He'd make sure the altar of incense, that the incense was continuing to burn, that the oil was in the lamp. And he would go in every day and make sure that was taken care of. Verse 7. But in the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself, and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. Now, Once a year, he would go into that Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was, and he was the only one that had access behind the veil into the presence of God. So once a year, one man got to go to make atonement for all people. And I imagine everybody else being in the outer court wondering what's going on in there. I wonder what it's like in there. I wonder what's happening. Do you know that when they went in, they would tie a rope around them? And they would wear bells to make sure they were still moving around in case they fell over and died. Because nobody else could go in and get them, so they would tie a rope in case they died so they could drag them back out. And so when they would come out, they would wait to see, you know, does he have anything to tell us? Does he have anything to say? But you know what, aren't you glad that we're not on the outside looking in when it comes to a relationship with God? We're not out here having one person go visit God and then maybe come out and tell us something once a year. We can enter in anywhere and anytime, may we never take it for granted. Amen? Amen. What a blessing, what a privilege that that veil's been torn. And Sally, they're trying to sew that veil back up and make access to him harder than it should be. Lord, help us not to be so caught up in religion that we miss out on the relationship. Notice it says of this high priest, he couldn't go without blood. You know why? Because he was a sinner in need of a Savior himself. The first sacrifice he had to make was for himself. That's why we have a better high priest, because our Savior, our great high priest, is not a sinner and never needed to make a sacrifice for himself. Amen? So we see here very clearly this very clear contrast between that old covenant and what we'll see next week in the new covenant that we find in Jesus Christ. The old covenant was inferior. The old covenant had been fulfilled by Jesus Christ and was now becoming obsolete. It said there, he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. Now guys, known sins were to have been dealt with through the regular sin offerings and the daily sacrifices, but I want you to note something else. There's no excuse for sin, and all sin must be paid for whether you know you sinned or not. Amen? What about the person who doesn't even know about sin? You know what I believe? First of all, let me make it very clear. I don't think anybody on this planet thinks they're not a sinner if they're really being honest. Amen? Because here's the truth. God's created all of us with the Holy Spirit with us. We call Him our conscience. He's with us until we're saved. Then He goes in us. He comes in us. And then when we're baptized, He's now upon us. But I believe He's with all of mankind. That's why they know right from wrong. The only way you could know right from wrong is if God told you. Amen? Because in and of yourself, you're not going to know it. But we all do because the Holy Spirit is with us. And so we see here this very clear picture. And so he said, even for the sins done in ignorance, a sacrifice had to be made. And once a year he would go in and he would sprinkle the blood upon the ark. So how much access did the people have with God in the inferior old covenant sanctuary? Not much. The most holy man on the most holy day got to go in the most holy place and everybody else was on the outside looking in. Praise God. I, aren't you glad that you live in the day we live? Yeah. We are the most blessed of all people, if you did not know that. We have the complete revelation in our hand. We got more copies of the Bible and Christian radio stations and Christian music. And we are without excuse to live on fire for God. Amen? Yeah. We have no reason to say, well, I don't have resources. resource. I don't have a... Are you kidding me? You've got more Bibles in your house than some, you know, some small towns do in foreign countries. Amen? Yeah. And so... Here's the point, though, guys. we got to blow the dust off the book and start reading it. Read the book, don't wait for the movie, right? Get that thing out, open it up, and spend some time in the presence of the creator of the universe. Guys, sometimes the hardest thing to do is to open the Bible. But once you open it, aren't you blessed every time? But sometimes it's hard to get the... Because the, the enemy wants to distract you with everything else under the sun. So one person had access... And one person got to go. Everybody else was on the outside looking in. Five reasons it was inferior. Number four, it was only temporary. It was never meant to be the source or even to be a source or even pointing to the source, ultimately, of salvation by itself. Look what it says. Verse 8. The Holy Spirit, indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while the first tabernacle was still standing. What does that say? Is that pretty clear or what? Here's what he says. Our ability, all of us, to go into the presence of Almighty God would not be made fully manifest as long as the tabernacle was still there. It's when that tabernacle was removed, when it became obsolete, and when the better covenant came through the Savior, through our Messiah, Jesus Christ, and that was all put away that we could enter into the Holy of Holies. Amen? And I'm so glad... Again, that the veil's been torn and that we all can enter in. It was not available to men as long as the old covenant was in place. And sadly, you have these people who are reading this letter who are contemplating leaving Jesus to go back to the old covenant. They're contemplating leaving the one who the veil was torn. We can enter in to go back to where one man can go in and they can look on from a distance. From having an intimate relationship with God to making sacrifices with lambs. How sad to turn away from intimate fellowship. But you know what's, what's, what's heartbreaking for me as a pastor? So often I meet people that think it's just way too simple to believe in Jesus Christ and give your life to Him and walk in fellowship with Almighty God. They think you've got to have 500 more things you've got to do besides. That's just too easy. Guys, it wasn't easy for our Savior to die. It wasn't cheap, but God, praise God, it is a free gift that He offers to every one of us. Amen? And He's not looking for you to get your act together and then come to Him. Come to, get, come to Him. He'll help you get your act together. Amen? You've been trying to get your act together on your own. How's that working out so far? Let's trust Him. Let's put our lives in His hands and watch what He'll do. Last one. Why is it inferior? administered only to man's outward need? without the ability to change his inward heart. Look at verse 9. It says, It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to conscience. Here's what he's saying. The priest who went in, the most holy guy on the most holy day with the most holy sacrifice, the only guy that got to go in, even for him, it did not make him perfect when he made the sacrifice. That's what that verse says. It says, Who cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to his conscience. He still came out convicted about his sin. Why? Because the blood of animals cannot take away the sin of mankind. Amen? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but what? The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. See, the crowd would watch. The man would go in with the blood of the animal. They would sprinkle it. Again, it was God's plan. It all pointed to Jesus. It was a very clear picture of our need for redemption. But it could not save us because if it could, Jesus would not have had to come and die on the cross. Amen? If the blood of bulls and goats was sufficient, Jesus would not have had to come. He came because it was not. It was not enough. It was not sufficient. They had made the sacrifice, but they were still in need of redemption. Last verse. Concerned only with foods and drinks and various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of Reformation. They made the sacrifices, and what were they worried about? Look what it says. What they drank, how they washed and cleansed themselves. And the fleshly ordinances. They were trying to keep all the outward rituals and they were missing out on the inward relationship. Even today, you meet a Jewish person who still holds on to Orthodox Judaism. They will tell you about the hundreds of rules that they must keep and how difficult it is. I had a guy tell me that on a sales call several years ago. He says, I have 262 laws I must keep. I said, how's that working out for you? Because I know 10 of them, you're not keeping those. So I don't know what the rest of them are. But, dude, you're a mess. Aren't you glad it's not do, 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 but it's done? Amen? Aren't you glad it's not us trying to earn God's favor? And sadly, they were, you know, the way they washed, they had turned the Sabbath. You know, the Pharisees turned the Sabbath, a day of rest, into a big, huge burden. They took the Word of God and they added to it. You know, you can't wash on the Sabbath. Because that would be work. If you have false teeth, you've got to take them out because you'll be carrying a weight around if you have your teeth in your mouth. If you have a wooden leg, take your leg off because you, you'll be carrying a weight around. You can only walk so far. So you had people who were dirty, hopping, and no teeth on the Sabbath. You know, what kind of day of rest was that? Amen? God wants us to enter into His rest, not enter into His work. He already did the work. It's a free gift. If we were earning it, it would be a paycheck, not a free gift. But he paid the price. He paid it in full. And sadly, here they are staring in the face of what the Lord has done. And all they're concerned about is what they drank and how they washed and all the fleshly ordinances. But look at this last portion. It says imposed until the time of reformation. I looked up that word reformation in the original language. And you know what the word means? To make Straight. These are all the things they're involved in until the day came when they would be made straight. Guys, the Reformation, Jesus Christ, has straightened us out. We didn't make ourselves straight. The burden would continue until this, all these rituals were replaced with the real thing. Until they gave their lives to Jesus Christ. Guys, you can be caught up in all the legalism and all the rituals for his for the rest of your life, and you'll never have peace. You'll never enter into His rest. You'll never truly know what it means to have joy and to have a relationship with Almighty God. Guys, it's time for us to stop living our lives in our flesh and for us to die to ourselves, be filled with the Spirit of living God, and walk in His power from this day forward. Amen? So, as we have seen, and then I just want to say this. Look at the first two words of verse... Eleven. This is what we'll pick up next week. Look what it says. What does it say? But Christ. Christ. Well, that's good stuff right there. Here's the mess. Here's all the things they've tried to do. Here's the old Testament sanctuary. Here's you know all that it pointed to. Here was their way to try to but Christ. Here's here's the mess. But Christ came and fixed it all. Amen. Here's man's efforts, man's ways, man's attempt didn't work. But Christ came. Amen. Guys, you may be here today and you've been trying your whole life. You've been trying to be good enough. You've been trying to earn it. No matter how hard you've tried, you've failed. But here's the good news. But Christ, he came and suffered and died that you might have eternal life. He's a great and an awesome God. So the five reasons it was inferior. It was an earthly sanctuary. Our Savior's in a heavenly one. It was a type of something greater. Jesus is the one that the sanctuary was pointing to. It was inaccessible to the people. We can all enter into the presence of Almighty God through the shed blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It was temporary. Our Savior is an eternal, great, high priest who will never change. And then lastly, he administered only to man's outward need, his outward efforts. Our Savior came and he transformed us from the inside out. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word we thank you, Lord, that we're not trying or we cannot earn our salvation. Lord, I thank you you haven't given us 50 hoops to jump through. I thank you, Lord, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die because we were perfect. He didn't die even because we were worthy. He died for us knowing every wicked, vile thing we've ever done. And he still loves us. You still love us. Lord, I thank you and praise you for the incredible grace you've shown everyone in this room. Father, I pray if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, Lord, that even now you would open their eyes to the truth of who you are. Lord, that you would draw them unto yourself. Lord, as you reach out right now with a free gift of salvation, offering it universally, Lord, I pray that everyone here would know it must be accepted individually. Hadn't planned on doing this, I'm going to take a moment. If you're here this morning you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, The Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you've been trying to do it your own way your whole life, it's time for you to quit trying to do it your way and give your life to Him. He reaches out to you now and says, I love you. I want you to be my child. I want to adopt you into my family. I'm not asking you to join a church or anything else. All you're doing is confessing you're a sinner and asking Him to be your Savior. If that's your desire this morning, I just want you to do something real simple. I want you just to hold up your hand and say, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. Is there anybody here at all? God bless you. 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 Anybody else? Anybody else? Today's a day of salvation. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and I just pray for each one who has raised their hand, Lord, it would not be an emotional decision for a moment, but Lord, they would give themselves to you for a lifetime. Father, I pray and ask right now that, Lord, you would, as you've drawn them unto yourself, they would truly understand what it means to give their lives to you. If you raise your hand right now, I'm going to pray a prayer, and I want you just to repeat after me. Don't be ashamed of him. He's not ashamed of you. He loves you. Everyone here loves you. We're excited to know that you've given your life to Him. I'm just going to ask you to pray a simple prayer. Just repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning and I confess that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me, to make me a new creation. I believe that Jesus Christ is God. That he paid for my sin. That he died on the cross. And that he rose from the dead. I believe that you've forgiven me. Help me to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 The Bible says, when one person is saved, that all the angels in heaven rejoice. There is a party up in heaven right now. Amen? (laughs) Let me encourage you, if you raise your hand, don't run out of here like the building's on fire, okay? We don't want anything from you, but we do want to pray with you. We want to answer any questions you might have. We want to make sure you have a Bible so if you raise your hand, when, before you leave, you'll come up and talk to one of the pastors. We just want to minister to you any way that we can. Everybody else here, let's be praying for those who gave their life to the Lord this morning. Amen? Let's stand and close with worship song.